0: Welcome to The Farcast here at Shadron State College. I'm Daniel Binkert with my co-host, as always, Alex Helmbrecht. And we're here with George Ledbetter, who I can't believe we haven't had you on the show before, um, man of many talents, uh, a fixture in the Shadron community, and we've got him. It's great. Well, thank you very much. Glad to be here. Yeah. Well, George, we'll get right into some questions for you. So um, just reading through the notes that Alex compiled, I, I couldn't believe. I thought I knew that you'd, you'd done a little bit, you know, you'd been here and there, but I had no idea you've been all over the place. Well, I traveled the world for several years, actually. Uh, I was fortunate enough to
1: take extended trips in India and uh, turn that into a bit of a career. as a business person for a while, yeah. Before I got into the business of newspapers, and then was in the newspaper business for in Deadwood, South Dakota, for several years, and then came down to Shadron, did the same thing here. So, yeah. uh, interspersed with beekeeping and tour guiding, <laughs> I have had a
0: few experiences over the years. <laughs> this is important. If I if I have beekeeping questions, I because yeah, you never know when you're going well, to need. to Well, the first these thing things. to know
1: about bees is they sting. That's a good
0: <laughs> good to know. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, I, and I'm sure we'll touch on uh, you know bits and pieces of all of these careers as we talk about all this stuff. But if we were to pick – or if you were to pick one item from your life, what's a standout experience that that you've had that would define who you are now?
1: I think that would have to be the time that I spent in Rishikesh in India – Living with a traditional Hindu guru on the banks of the Ganges River in okay. his little primitive ashram, which essentially was a, a mud hut with a tin roof on it and a small garden uh, right on the banks of the Ganges, right by a a place where people's bodies were burned, a burning god. Wow. Uh, I was there for several years off and on, probably a total of maybe five years, uh, about two years the first time there, and then back and forth, I uh, spent many more months, and through that, I did learn to speak uh, Hindi language. Uh, my guru didn't really speak English. Most of the people I was living with didn't, so it was a total immersion course in that okay. and total immersion in Hinduism and a whole different way of life. That uh, Very beautiful, uh, peaceful time, uh, an introduction to yoga, and uh, I'd had an interest in philosophy before, and but I didn't really want to study academic philosophy, and this was living philosophy. So that's a, an experience that certainly altered uh, who what I have become,
0: I have to say. Oh, I imagine mm-hmm. so. I mean, I, well, I imagine so. I can't imagine that. <laughs> I have not been yeah. in any kind of situation like that. And,
1: and I really can't explain very well what it's like, and, and that way of life, I think, is is gone away even in India now through yeah. the forces of modernization over the last 40 years. But some of the things that we were doing struck me as having been traditions that were predating, they were thousands of years old, uh, the making of of japati. We made every meal fresh on a wood fire, for instance, and the bread is made by kneading the flour. Uh, it's just salt and flour and water, and then you pat it out by hand and cook it on a... A metal plate and uh, on an open fire and right. uh, vegetarian diet entirely. Uh, not a lot of philosophy in an academic sense, but much storytelling—the myths and stories of the Indian religion—and then just watching the guru and and his chelas, his disciples, interact with other people and and. Uh, the sacredness of the fire that we cooked on and uh, there're just so many aspects of it that it's it's really hard to define and and hard to give a picture of that to people who have not experienced it at all
0: well, i mean i kind of think like <laughs> what were the what was it like day to day being there
1: so uh first thing one of the reasons that they liked me there was that I've always liked to get up early in the morning uh-huh. and they consider early rising to be kind of a virtue, of course, in the tropics it 's really good because that 's the cool time. but yeah. I would wake automatically at about four in the morning and get up and go down into the Ganges for a bath now the Ganges right there is a cold mountain stream it's just coming out of the himalayas okay. so that was a pretty invigorating dip <laughs> Boy, and at, four in, the morning, at four in the morning uh but that uh, endeared them that made me look like really one of these sadhus one of these mendicant indian guys and uh and then we go up and uh and have a cup of hot chai that was made by over the over the fire there and sit and chat for a while and uh and then— I've uh, had
2: some of George's chai before oh, Daniel yeah. and it is the best. Oh, I want to try it <laughs> some. I'll, I'll put yeah. in a plug for Yeah, soon. yeah. Uh,
1: and then the day was really occupied— a lot of it was with paying attention to the food that you eat. So uh, we had a little garden. He had a small farm. We would work that a little bit. Uh, he actually made his living, got a little bit of income by growing mint on the side of the road or the side of the Ganges, on the okay. right near the shore. And uh, each morning, then you go down and cut the mint and carry it on his back into the bazaar and walk around the streets of the town selling these little bundles of mint for fifteen paisa, which was the equivalent of maybe a penny or something. So he was known as Mint Baba in the town. Okay. Uh, but so that occupied the time, and then we would prepare the noon meal, and then then there would be a nap in the afternoon because it's hot time of day, so it was pretty much mandatory a couple hours, and then you'd wake up about four in the afternoon and start the cycle again, have another cup of chai, and then get busy preparing the food for the evening meal, and uh, it, it was it was pretty idyllic, really, in many ways. It was just a calm,
2: quiet life. Uh, did, did you find? A- <clears throat> Did you find a lot of, I mean, obviously, it sounds like a really pastoral setting and certainly serene, but did you find a lot of peace with that intentionality where, where every day you wake up at a certain time and you get into these routines and, and you really put a focus on the things that are important, your your health, your, your mental and physical wellness, um, and then obviously your, your nutrition, and it basically... And obviously, camaraderie. Right, uh, right. Otherwise, all those that, was about, that was your
1: day. The, that, the one interesting thing, though, you mentioned the feeling of peace and all of that, and this is one of the real contrasts there. Although you think of a Hindu guru as being a calm, peaceful person, my guru was very fiery. And he did not hesitate to argue and shout. And he was very profane, actually. Well, and <laughs> it took me a long time to understand Hindu profanity. <laughs> <But> <laughs> I saw him get his last tooth knocked out in a fistful. Oh, oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> he had accosted a guy who he thought was stealing the calf. We had cows at one time there. And and he thought the guy had tried to steal his cow and he went and accosted him and the guy knocked his, oh, <laughs> his yeah. tooth out. That guy got jumped by the rest of the disciples <laughs> and oh, came to regret that. I, I would imagine. So there's more to it than the sure, calm and sure. peaceful aspect which was really it's important to understand that that even oh, in yeah. the midst of this serene lifestyle there is a contrast there yeah. and and it's not life is not always peaceful and so oh. you have to stand up for things sometimes. Okay. So. Uh, uh, another time that he got angry and and got in a fight was uh, the the Ganges is a sacred river and you're not supposed to fish there. But somebody came along and threw a bomb into the Ganges to oh, <laughs> kill the fish yeah. there. He went down and jumped that guy too.
2: <laughs> I'd like to meet this guy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so George, um, you grew up in South Dakota, right? I did. Yeah, I'm from so Pierre. <clears throat> how does how does a boy from from Pierre, South Dakota, wind up? In India? I mean, is it as simple as you saw a group of people hanging around this river and you walked up and said, hey, can I... Not
1: quite like that.
2: Yeah. So uh, I had gone to the University
1: of Denver for college and was studying philosophy. And as I said, I decided academic philosophy wasn't really an interest. Uh, I had an opportunity to go visit. It was uh, my girlfriend at the time had gone to Berlin in Germany. So I took a year off from college uh, thought it was going to be a year off, took a leave of absence and uh, went to Germany and got a job there working for the US military post exchange system for a few months and then quit that and traveled around and came back and a guy that I had met there uh, had been in India before and he said, ''Hey, we're going to India, you want to go along?'' Well, I had spent all the money I had so I wrote my parents and said, ''Will you send me $100, I want to go to India?'' and they sent me $150 <laughs> and I didn't come back for three years. <laughs> but the uh, the encounter with the guru happened by chance. One of the places that tourists, this was the hippie trail to India in the 1960s, 1971. Uh, one of the places that you often visited was Rishikesh, it was famous then because the Beatles had gone there to okay. meet with Guru Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. And so I went up there And by chance encountered this guru. Uh, Some friends had gone down to his place and stayed, and that's another Mm. different story. But uh, at that point, I was really broke. And a couple of guys, other Westerners and myself, went up across the river, across the Ganges, and we stayed in a cave, lived in a cave for about a month there. And this cave was a place where Indian sadhus and mendicants and philosophers had been probably staying for eons, at different time period. It was the most idyllic place you can imagine. Uh, we didn't have much money. We had a young fellow with us, an Indian sadhu, who knew how to make your money stretch. So we'd go down to the bazaar, buy a little bit of lentils and some wheat flour and make our meals there. And during that time, I had experimented a little bit with meditation before, but there it became a completely natural thing that you just felt this serenity this whole atmosphere there and during that time then i was i kept reflecting on this guru because i had met him before and and somehow there was some connection established and when i got back down then went back into the village and met up found that he had been asking about me too and so i said hey can i stay there and I said, oh sure that's fine yeah you can become part of the group. And so I did. Oh, <laughs> That's kind of a long uh, yeah, no, story, it's, it's but just, it's really it fascinating. Was your your college spring break was very different yeah, than mine. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: you never know where yeah, you're going to end yeah. up. Uh, well, let's see. Uh, You know, I have a question about what locations would you recommend for potential world travelers? But, you know, even beyond locations, what advice do you have for potential world travelers?
1: So uh, the advice would be open to every experience and open to every person. I firmly believe through all of my life experiences that one can learn something from everyone that you encounter, but you've got to be open to it. And that may be a person that you disagree with on every respect, but... They've got something to teach you. That's why you run into them. Mm-hmm. So you have to be open to things. I mean, if I hadn't been open to this encounter with this guru, uh, yeah. none of this would have happened probably. If I hadn't been open to this friend who on a whim said, well, I'm going to India. Do you want to go along? I know I have a lot of friends there. And yeah. So I said, sure, that sounds like fun. So that would be my advice is to, to be aware of your surroundings but be open to the things that uh, life opens up for you. As far as a place to go, I would say India, certainly. Yeah. But that's from my own personal experience. India is an uh, incredibly diverse country, and there's so much to learn there. Uh, and it's become a lot newer and more modern than it was when I was there, you know, with cell phones and proliferation of that and television and Internet. But I think there's still parts of traditional India there
2: to be explored if people want to go and look for them. I, I think you kind of hinted at a, an, another great piece of advice, but but this would be for those who who are parents in the audience, and I know I've talked to you about this before, but uh, it was, your parents had to trust you that you were going to do the right thing, and for them to to triple, the, or not, well, I guess double <laughs> the amount of money that they were going to send to you, and then trust that you are going to make the right decisions had to have been... Um, just a tremendous decision, I part. was so fortunate with my parents, you know
1: I thought so when I started that trip to Germany, I, I did all this on a shoestring, as you understand, so I actually hitchhiked from Pier to New York City to catch an Icelandic air flight to wow. europe to to Luxembourg. That was the cheapest way to go. My mother saw me off on the highway <laughs> with my hitchhiking sign that said New York City and my backpack on yeah. my back, and she Took me out to the road to do that, and I, I just think, you know, what a heart uh, <laughs> that was yeah. to yeah, do that absolutely. for your child.
2: Yeah, that's special because you, you gotta, you get to that point where you have to let that person be that person, be that yeah. person, and uh, that's really that's mm-hmm. great. Yeah. Um, so George, we Daniel talked a little bit about it. You've, and I'll, I'll say this so I get most of your your professions in there. But you spend time as a reporter, editor, and publisher for newspapers in both Deadwood and Shadron. Um, so what did you learn? And then give us your thoughts on the news industry, both maybe when you were working in it and, and, both, and then maybe how it is now or how you perceive it.
1: So, you know, the, uh, the thing that I learned about newspapers, I worked on community newspapers, which are weekly, small weekly newspapers. And my belief is that the community newspapers are really important for uh, for a community.
2: Oh, absolutely!
1: Uh, a weekly newspaper. They used to be dailies. That are, now you can't quite make that work. But uh, providing local news, honest, impartial reporting of local happenings is really important, and it's a it's something that I'm very concerned is going the way of. Uh, of the dinosaur in some respects. There's certainly the news will be out there, but it may not be in that unified form. Uh, But that's that's what I really liked about newspaper business was being part of the community, being able to tell the stories of people in the community, particularly reporting on their government because, Mm -hmm. you know, government is not some abstract concept in our country. Government is you and I Mm -hmm. and we have to know what government is doing in order to make decisions and judgments about how it should go and that's what a community newspaper should be about. What's happened now with the gutting of the newspaper business is really sad. I don't think it's going to go away. I just hope that there's a model that will support impartial, independent reporting on a community as well as a regional and national level. Uh, the internet, during my time period, I was actually pretty fortunate. I started, at, part of why it was really fun being an editor in Deadwood, I started just about the time that gambling was okay. came into Deadwood. So over the 12 years I was there, I got to watch how that community was transformed by this new industry and report on it and tell the people in the community what was happening. On a day-to-day, week-to-week basis, Uh, the first week I was reporting, uh, there was a murder in a casino, Mm -hmm. which was a heck of a way to break into being a reporter on a small (laughs) weekly newspaper. (laughs) It happened right across the street from the place where our office was. Uh, but yeah. you have to acknowledge that. Yeah, you bring a new yeah. industry into town, especially one like that, hey, that's part of it. You know, They didn't like it when I reported about the increased incidence of bad checks in the county. That, that didn't sit well with the people, but that was a fact of life. it's yeah. part of what happened. So those are the things that were important to me in a news mm-hmm. business. I think that will still get out. But I don't know the platforms that we have now if they're going to be as useful as a community newspaper that everybody had access to and could read in common, so yeah
0: uh, fragmentation
1: the fragmentation that's happened yeah. but uh, at the time newspapers were doing quite well uh and the local newspaper the internet actually was a boon for our local newspapers, so Deadwood News was making it onto the internet then. Um, and some of the stories that I wrote got picked up by larger news outlets, or at least the ideas that I was working on right. were picked up. So uh, the Internet provides a lot more information for us in some ways, but that information is not curated. That's what an editor has to do is decide what the news is, what's important about the news, and how to present it in a way that people can understand it. Yeah. You know, Shattern State College is doing a great job of of educating community newspaper people, I think. And I see what Michael Kennedy's done, and I certainly admire what Levita Dickinson did here with the newspaper and the, the careers that Shattern State grads have had in the news business. It's really yeah. inspiring to me. Yeah, there
2: is, It certainly, there's a, I think you actually, you know, one of the things we didn't mention is your job is it uh, you write a lot for, for the college as kind of a stringer reporter and then also for the foundation uh, and alumni office. So a lot of your stories appear in the alumni magazine. But uh, you wrote a great piece about the the centennial of the Eagle and just the impact that those advisors had. Uh, it's really one of the – I think it's it's one of those things. It's easy to see the tangible output that those students have because, you know, both Daniel and I are involved with the Eagle, our, our friend Justin Haig, so many others yeah, uh, uh, who go on to – not necessarily bits and pieces of journalism, but they certainly use that background uh, to, to assist them in their professional life Exactly.
1: Career. You learn all of those things that you yeah. need to know to evaluate, to make decisions, to make good judgments about things, and to pass that knowledge on to others. That's a big part of journalism. Yeah, mm-hmm. that sure is.
0: Yeah. Well, let's see. So that's... yeah. I'm up. <laughs> I lose track. Um, Thinking about the newspapers, but let's shift gears. Talk about the great outdoors. I know one of your favorite subjects, and I think I mentioned it about at least once a podcast how much I enjoy getting out and hiking around the local parks. So yeah, let's. Um, you spend a lot of time on bike trails and cross country skiing, which uh, is a little different from what I do with just hiking. But uh, what what what's involved with all that? I mean, especially the cross country skiing. Well. So I I learned early on that uh,
1: exercise, getting good physical exercise, is really important for mental health. I, I noticed that even back when I went to college. I found that if I wasn't getting exercise, I just didn't feel quite right. And so I started bicycling, actually... Uh, well, I came back from India the first time, and and my dad had bought a bike for me. It was a kind of a road bike, and I got on and really enjoyed just riding around. Pier, and then went out to the Black Hills and and started riding the trails there, and and finding out how, how you could get into nature and and have that good exercise at the same time. And cross-country skiing then I learned in the Black Hills after I moved out there from a friend and that's a good way in the winter time when the bike doesn't work so well. So that's a good way to get out and and deep breathe and see the whole different aspect of nature that you don't see during the summer or any other time of year. It changes but it's really, really beautiful. So the cross-country skiing is just a nice fun way. It's so smooth and gentle to get out there and quiet and and you experience the the outdoors at a time when it's it's a different sense than it is in the summertime it's quiet it's still alive but a,
2: a different way
1: it's oh, really yeah. fun yeah Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: And Daniel, you have to be careful when you're riding bike with George because he goes faster than you. I'll do. bet he do i bet you do. <laughs> I was riding with him once on the Mickelson trail and he was I don't know, I was carrying my son in the, the cart behind and George was probably going, I don't know, fifteen, seventeen miles an hour or whatever, but um he is yelling back, look at the bird, look at the bird. And I was like, what, what, what bird? So even when he's going fast, he's observing all that stuff. Out but there. That, yeah. that's the fun, that's
1: one of the most fun part. Uh, you know, the most, some of the most memorable experiences are the wildlife that you encounter. Yeah. Uh, one of the times that I, I still reflect on how special it was, uh, Elizabeth, my wife and I were out riding in the Black Hills and we chanced to be in the middle of a herd of elk,
2: cows
1: and calves and they were calling to each other just like cattle do with these beautiful plaintive calls they sound like you hear the recordings of of dolphins or whales and it sounded like that but they were calling back and forth to each other in the forest and we stood there motionless and the calves started coming up to us because they were curious about who we were what we were doing there so we just didn't move and uh... And just stood there and a couple of times they kind of did little mock charges to see if we would move <laughs> and and we just stood there and mindful, of course, that being between a mama elk and mm-hmm. a young is probably not the best yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> but eventually they just accepted us and walked, you know, not 10 feet away from us, walked past. and wow. But just the experience of being in the middle of that and hearing that and feeling that sense, that, that's just the kind of fun thing that happens when you're out in the outdoors. That is fantastic. I have not, yeah. however, seen a mountain lion while I'm out on the trails. I haven't I hear stories out <laughs> at like
0: the Black Hills Overlook that uh, people have seen them out there occasionally. I've, mm-hmm. I've run into a rattlesnake out there. Yeah, that, that's that's funny, about snake. as bad as it's gotten. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. watch coyotes and uh, fox and uh, we saw a weasel here just this last week when we yeah. were up at our place in the hills there. and. Uh, you know, another one that it, an encounter. This is—it's really hard to describe. But riding on the Mickelson mm-hmm. Trail, on occasion, you'll have butterflies that will fly. It seems like they're flying right along with you, like they're guiding you as you're riding, yeah. which is just so magical. Yeah. And this will—this will happen for you've experienced mm-hmm. it. I think this will happen for. Seem like minutes at a time. This butterfly will stay right ahead of you, as though it's leading
2: you down the trail. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a pretty magical place. Like it really saying. is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so George, um, I know that you're certainly involved with the, um, with the local travel board. Uh, you know, I used to be on that as well. Had a lot of great times with you there uh, and the others. Um, but then you're also involved with the Northwest Nebraska Trails Association. Can you tell us a little bit about what what projects you have going on now, and and also why is it important for people in our neck of the woods to be involved with groups like this? Well, as I said about community
1: newspapers, I think community involvement. A community is you and I and everybody else that's here and it only becomes better if we try to make it better. So the involvement with the travel board is because I think that tourism, uh, I'm a traveler myself and I think tourism is a good way to not only provide economic development for a community but to enhance a community's entire life. You bring people in, that bring in different attitudes and ideas and things that you might not have heard of. So uh, as far as being on the travel board, I'm just trying to help Shattern develop its travel industry because I think we have great potential for that here.
2: And it's, and it's already a, a big economic driver. It is. The it's the
1: second largest economic driver in the county, mm-hmm. second only to agriculture and, and going to get bigger. I'm convinced of that oh, yeah. because we have so many beautiful things here. Mm-hmm. The historical attractions that we have here, uh, as I mentioned, I was a tour guide for a while too and uh, brought people down to this area. My first encounter with Muse- Museum of the Fur Trade was guiding a tour and I stopped in not knowing anything about it and was absolutely overwhelmed by the wealth of things that are in the Museum of the Fur Trade and the history that represents from this yeah. area. But the project, the big project now, Alex, that I'm working on and along with a number of other people is the Northwest Nebraska Trails Association. We're trying to develop the mountain bike trails and this area and particularly want to bring a connection for the Cowboy Trail into Shadron. So the Cowboy Trail is going to be the longest single component of the Great American Rail Trail. It's a rail, former railroad converted into a pedestrian and bicycle trail across the country. It ends about four miles outside of Shadron. Nebraska Game and Parks is committed to at some time finishing the part from uh, Rushville into Shadron and I think they probably will in the next couple of years. But there's a five-mile gap there and fortunately for Shadron, the Nebraska Northwestern Railroad has agreed to allow construction of a rail with trail right alongside their railroad. So the NNTA, of which I'm a member, has committed to getting that trail developed. Now, it's a little bit difficult. There's going to be a couple of big streams that we have to cross, that, and it's going to be not cheap to do that. But by making that connection, we're going to connect Shadron as it was via the railroad. We're going to be connected with all the rest of the world through that, that link of a rail trail. So, Shadron was founded as a railroad town in 1885, and I think that rail line that was built there is going to be part of Shadron's future economic development too,
2: as a non-motorized trail. So, so George, for, I mean, I think Daniel and I understand the benefit of trails in in recreation like that, but for someone who may need a little convincing, what what do you say? They. They see a trail, oh cool, you can walk on it, but what does a trail actually provide what 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 does that do for the communities and, and the people of those communities
1: well, there's so many different ways to look at it. Just for the people in the community, the trail is access to a safe, pleasurable place where they can get a little bit of physical exercise and for many people, just a walk is a fine form of yeah. physical exercise. Mm-hmm. Being able to walk on an area where you are away from traffic is really special. Shadron has a problem that our sidewalks are not very adequate, so when you go for a walk and you see people around, unfortunately we have to walk in the streets, and that is not really safe. If we get this trail built, then you won't have to walk in the streets. So we have cross-country teams. Both the high school and the college have cross-country teams. They need a place to train. They're already running alongside that active railroad as a training ground, just informally. But if we can make that a proper paved, not paved, but a a packed trail, it'll be a lot easier for them and a lot safer. The railroad people will be a lot happier about it. And again, they have a safe place away from traffic. They aren't breathing uh, smoke or exhaust yeah. fumes when they 're doing it, so that 's one thing mm-hmm. is in terms of community wellness and community well being uh, parks and trails are really important in terms of economic development. Uh, I come back from a trip this summer uh, to the west coast and we stopped and explored uh, bicycle trails everywhere we went and I saw people of all ages enjoying bicycle trails. And many of them were probably local people just riding on the local trail mm-hmm. that they had. And many of the, some of the places were rail trails, some of them were uh, dedicated mountain bike trails. But I also saw a lot of people coming in from far distant places just to explore those trails. We rode the route of the Hiawatha, which is a 17-mile trail on the old Milwaukee Road Beautiful, beautiful uh, route with high trestles and a two mile long tunnel and incredibly picturesque. They have a shuttle system so you can rent a bike at the top and it'll and ride down to the bottom and then take a shuttle back up. That, <laughs> that was <works. laughs> so packed with people, there were just hundreds of people on the day we were yeah. there. And every day of the summer, they get all kinds of people coming in just to enjoy that trail. So think of the boon that is for all of those people to enjoy that outdoor experience and for the local economy that they come into and they bring in with their their need for food and lodging and, and all of the other things that go mm-hmm. with it being a traveler. So those are a couple of the things that I see that trails bring.
2: Yeah, not not even to mention that the stretch from Rushville to here would be the arguably the most gorgeous stretch of the Cowboy Trail. I
1: think it will, really, because we have the most scenery. It's really flat on most of the rest of it. Uh, I think the part through the sandhills, that's going to be the hardest part to build, from Gordon over to Valentine. It also has its own beauty, but that's going to be for the really dedicated bicyclist because you've got about 90 miles and
2: there's nothing in between. (laughs) (laughs) Just some great sunsets and sunrises. The great though, sunsets, have yes. Those to look for. Yeah, and to. a lot
1: of birds. There'll be a lot of wildlife to view on that,
2: that So if of trail. someone wanted to get involved who's listening with the NNTA, how could they go about doing that?
1: Well, we have a website. Uh, it's uh, discovernorthwestnebraskatrails.com, and uh, they could certainly contact uh, us through that. And we would be very happy to have members or even just interested parties. Uh, We do need help. We're trying to organize trail improvement days where we go out and work on trails. We'd like to develop a dedicated mountain bike trail at Shadden State Park. Nebraska Game and Parks is working with us on that idea. Uh, And uh, just get out and enjoy the bike trails. Excellent.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we've kind of hit on a lot of them, but um, any other interests or hobbies of note that you'd like to share?
1: Uh, I think you covered most of them there. I I do. I've become quite interested now. My interest in bicycles has expanded to bicycle work, and uh, I've become really interested in the history and mechanics of bicycles. Uh, And I only uh, just learned that Uh, of a new type of bicycle that someone has uh, developed, an electric bicycle that actually is direct power generation. So you just pedal, and that delivers power right to your back wheel or into a battery if you're excess powering. But the interesting thing I learned from that is that that is still less efficient than a chain-driven bicycle. A (laughs) chain-driven bicycle is the most efficient way of converting power from your legs into motion.
0: Yeah, wasn't there? I'm having this this um, recollection of some like a movement study where the efficiency of a human and how on our on our legs is one thing, and that's pretty efficient. But then you put us on a bicycle, and we're ten times or more efficient, mm-hmm. uh, just being able to to get that that easy movement. Yeah, and and move through
1: space, and yeah. and even riding around towns. Another thing I enjoy is just riding around urban areas and observing the the things that you find there. So, you know, that's another aspect of trail building here is building bicycle trails, dedicated bicycle routes inside of Shadron. Yeah. Shadron State College has got beautiful trails. Uh, the Seahill trails are really fun to ride, to mm-hmm. walk, uh, and you can see wildlife there, you know. There's a, a den of fox up there that they're really fun to watch, the kit fox there, and uh, and you see the birds up there, too, and so... the, the it's a, a wealth of things here that there are to yeah. admire and enjoy.
0: Yeah, it's so nice having it uh, well in the, the backyard of the office or the, the backyard of the town. Of the whole it's town. Great. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm.
2: All right, George, we've reached that part of yeah. the uh the interview where we have some some quick hitting questions. So oh. first thing that comes to the top of your head. Uh so George, what was the first concert you attended? So
1: the first concert I attended, you may not believe this, but I still remember when I was in junior high, Buck Owens played in the auditorium of the Peer High School. <laughs> and I remember that concert. Nice. <laughs> yeah. But the first concert in maybe more contemporary was actually when I went to University of Denver. The introductory concert that we had as freshmen was Taj Mahal. Blues, and I've All always right. liked blues music ever since then.
0: That's great. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. All right, so we've got kind of an abstract question for you. <laughs> Who, what, where, when, why, how? Which of those conjures up your best memories of the news business? So my best memories of the news
1: business are being in the office of the newspaper in... Deadwood, which was in the federal building. So it was a beautiful, beautiful building there. And uh, working on stories about, uh, believe it or not, uh, local government and the county commission and the planning and zoning commission and the historic preservation commission and coming to understand how local government works and the mechanics of it and the people involved in it and how that makes our society function. Great answer.
2: George, what's a favorite biking trail of yours?
1: Uh, you know, I have to say that the Mickelson Trail in the Black Hills in a rail trail is probably my favorite. But in terms of an outdoor trail, you know, the Spotted Tail Trail, uh, actually, the, I'm sorry, the uh, the trail, well, yeah, the Spotted Tail Trail at uh, in the uh, National Forest, Nebraska National Forest is really... A beautiful trail and strong canyon strong canyon actually is probably better than spotted tail, so the strong canyon trail uh, right it starts right across from shattern state park, and there's a couple different ways to do it, but you see beautiful uh, nice little valley, and you go up to the top and you look across to Crow Peak and crow Butte and uh, all of those things, and so that's a beautiful bike mountain bike trail. If you want to go on one, oh, that's that'd be great. I haven't, I haven't ridden mm-hmm. out there, but I've hiked it, and it's nice. It's a nice trail, yeah. yeah. Little strenuous in parts. <laughs> yes, especially when you're carrying a toddler. Right. <laughs> of
0: course. So, similar vein, uh, a favorite cross country skiing location?
1: For that, I have to say that uh, the Eagle Cliff Trails uh, in the Northern Black Hills, uh, the, just outside of Spearfish Canyon, the network up there is great. In this local area here, the Shadron Creek Wildlife Management Area, there are three or four ways that you can ski that and that is really fun too. And that's one of the places that I think the mountain lions have been looking at me when I was skiing out there. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> there they are. Need to get, Maybe take them some skis for <laughs> yeah. <that>. yeah. <laughs> they can chase you down. Uh, George, last one. Uh, what is the word that comes to your head when you think of Shadron State? So, this one's a little tough, but I think
1: surprising because before I moved to Shadron, I knew there was a college here, but I was really surprised at what a wonderful institution it is and how many great people there are here and how many exceptional people have received their training here. And I've, Thanks to the work that I've done for the college and the foundation, I've gotten to interview some of them and find out about their experiences and find out about uh, people that have have worked here over the years, uh, and and the accomplishments that they've had, you know, Nobel Prize winning and, yeah. and noted artists and uh, people that are at the top of their profession, and it's surprising to come out of remote rural Northwest Nebraska, an institution that uh, is so wonderful and has produced so many fine outcomes for so many people.
2: Yeah, very good. Well, well good. said. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us today, George. We, we uh, sincerely thank you for joining us. And um, you've had a very interesting life. And here's to, here's to many more years for you.
1: And it's still interesting. Keeps loving it. Yep. Thank you. Thanks, thank
0: you, George.